Let's pray together. Almighty Father, as we come now uh, to your word, um, yeah, each of us comes at it uh, from, from very different perspectives, very different backgrounds, very different um, places with respect to you. Some of us uh, have known you as our Father for a long time. And some of us uh, just can't even get our minds around what that could even mean. Uh, but wherever we're at, Will you do in us whatever it is that you did in Thomas? And will you bring us to a place from saying, I don't buy it, to a place where we say, not only that you are God, but, but that you are my God. That we might be able to say that you are my Father. Will you give us that gift? And you, you know what stands in the way of that. And you are so kind. And there is no barrier that is too great for you. So we ask for your power. We ask that you would increase the work of your Holy Spirit in us, that we may receive more of your Holy Spirit and that your Spirit would work with even greater power. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, you can have a seat. Um, and uh, please turn to page nine. We're in the uh, gospel reading. And um, at, today's the, um, the first Sunday after Easter, which means we're still in the season of Easter, which means I'm allowed to say, although I'm always allowed to say this and probably will, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. You're doing quite well with that. Doing, doing better. Well done, well done. Um, the camera angle today is still on Jesus on the first day uh, of his resurrection. So... Um, and it ends up that when Jesus rose from the dead, on that very first Sunday, that very first day, he, he just got a lot done. Uh, last week, we saw how he, uh, he got up out of the tomb and he, he chased down some disillusioned dis disciples who were running away, and he turned them around and ran them back. And today, we get to look at this scene where Jesus pops in on all the rest of the disciples and, um, and frightens them, uh, and then and then deals with them. But it's a really important passage tonight, today. Tonight? Today. I don't know what time it is. It's a really important passage because this is a passage, this is a story where Jesus lays the foundation for the church, for the Christian church. In fact, it's, it's pretty much the first thing Jesus does when he rises from the dead is he gets very, very busy in a very pointed way at laying the foundation for the Christian church. Now, why should we care about that? Well, most obviously we're in church, so it matters. But the church, when we talk about the Christian church, we're not just talking about individual congregations. We're talking about um, a transnational, multi-ethnic, worldwide movement that's outlasted every single empire and has never been more widespread than it is today. And therefore, arguably, it's reasonably important. And in, therefore, it is also reasonable to ask, what foundation explains a movement like that? It's been going on for 2,000 years. But then there's also at least one other important reason, many more, but at least one more important reason for asking the question, what is the nature of the foundation of the church? And that is that uh, for as many wonderful things as the church has done, and the church has done great things, but the church also has a lot to answer for. And we, we all know that. 
In fact, some of us have been deeply hurt by the church. And others of us, even if you haven't individually been hurt by the church, you've uh, seen some of the problems of the church and therefore uh, there's some reasonable amount of suspicion. And therefore, I can imagine somebody asking, hey, listen, given given the problems of the church, do the problems and the failures and the corruptions of the church roll back to a flawed foundation? What's the foundation for the church? Now, those are really bigger questions that can fit in a sermon, but... What I want to point out today, that's getting me off the hook a little bit there. What I want to do today is this. The church in every age, when it is at its best, is continually recalibrating itself to the foundation Jesus lays in this passage. Or I could say it differently, throughout history, this is more negative, throughout history, the Christian church has often drifted away from this foundation that that Jesus lays in this story. And when it drifts away from that foundation, that's when it becomes toxic, and that's when it becomes irrelevant. But by the same token, when the church, and this happens regularly, when the church stops, listens to Jesus once again, and recalibrates itself to Jesus' foundation as it is presented in this text, that's when it thrives, and that's when it blesses the world, and that's what we want to do. And so today, we get to practice looking at the foundation Jesus laid and asking the question, to what extent are we calibrated to it? So keep that question in your mind as we go through it. I want to show you four aspects of uh, the foundation of the church that Jesus gives us in this passage. And, and you got to have all of them in order for the foundation of the church to be strong. The first is this. The church is built upon the gospel of peace. Secondly, the church is sent out with authority based upon that gospel. Gospel, authority. Thirdly, it is animated by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, it is faithed, meaning it is given faith through the word of God. Let me go through and explain them. First of all, the church is built by the gospel of peace. Look at the scene there um, on page nine. When the scene opens up, you've got to understand that this is one of the darkest moments in the history of the people of God. I use the word people of God there because if you look throughout the uh, entirety of the Bible, it, it's abundantly clear in every portion of the Bible that God is, God's plan is not simply to rescue and save a few individuals from a bad future. Rather, God's plan is to gather a community, a community that is marked by this intimate, close, uh, vital, life-giving relationship with God as uh, the Father. And in the Old Testament, the people of God are called Israel. In the New Testament, the people of God are called the church. But when our scene opens in our gospel reading, the people of God are just at their worst. They're at their abject failures. Just think about it for a minute. Um, Israel's, think about Israel's religious establishment, the leadership. A few days before this, they had uh, arranged Jesus' death which is to say that they had killed the very Messiah that they had spent all of their lives teaching and anticipating. Uh, The book of Acts puts it very starkly. It says, they shed the blood of God. Not the finest moment in the history of the people of God, right? But then, not only was it the establishment, the 12 disciples of Jesus had also failed miserably. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter uh, denies Jesus. And then the rest of the disciples abandoned him. So it's, they're not doing well either. 
this is the darkest moment in the history of the, the people of God. And yet, in spite of their abject failure, this is the moment. This is the moment when Jesus shows up. And they're not looking for it. They're not having a, a design meeting on how, how, how can we really tweak this and, and make it a little bit better, this whole people of God thing. That's not what they're doing. They're just totally scared. They've got nothing. And Jesus enters, and there he lays the foundation. It's very important. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, that means the Jewish leaders, uh, Jesus came and stood among them, I don't know how he got in, and said to them, peace be with you. Now, focus on those words, peace be with you. Now, um, that kind of sounds like Jesus is just saying hi, right? Or it sounds a little bit like Jesus is saying, hey, check it out, it's me. Don't freak out, it's me. He's probably doing that a little bit, but, but there's more to it. The word peace there is very charged biblically. And it goes back to the Hebrew idea of shalom. Uh, and all through the scripture, scriptures, shalom describes kind of life the way it's meant to be. Um, and in particular, the word describes life in reconciled friendship with God. So the idea of peace isn't just that people aren't hurting each other. It's that there's this positive intimacy with God as Father. And all through the scriptures, humanity desires this peace. We want shalom. Um, but it's always elusive. And it's elusive for a variety of reasons. But it's elusive in the Old Testament because humanity uh, was created, designed for this uh, peace, this reconciled, intimate relationship with God as our Father. But we killed it uh, by, by rejecting God. And that uh, rupture in relationship is not we just can't put it back together. We try. We try to do all kinds of things, but we, can, we can't put it back together. And therefore, peace, though we desire it, it's always just beyond our grasp. We, we can see it. We can describe it. We can write poems about it. We can paint pictures of it. We can describe it perhaps in a story to some extent, but we can't live it. And the only person who ever lives it is Jesus Christ. Uh, son of God, perfect, intimate, joyful relationship of God as his father. You see it all the way through his life. It's his peace and, and nobody else's. Now keep that in mind and bring it back to this scene because just a few nights before this, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he talked about peace. And this is what he said. Talking to his disciples, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace, that's important, my peace I give to you. And then a few minutes later, he got up, he went out, and he was arrested, and he was killed. Now, three days later, Jesus shows up, and it's the first thing he says to them. Peace to you. Why is that important? Because he means, in the context, he means disciples, abject religious failures, my death and resurrection means that I can share my peace with you now. Jesus says, 
my death and resurrection has accomplished everything necessary, absolutely everything necessary, so that you can receive amnesty and pardon and reconciliation with God. And even beyond that, that you can not only um, receive forgiveness and pardon and amnesty, but rather you can receive more. You can be embraced by adoption into the family of God so that you can call God Father like I call God Father. All of that is vested in this idea, my peace I give you. Now, pause here. Um, Just a quick vocab thing. Um, Christians use the word gospel an awful lot. And it's kind of one of those tribal words. It's like, if if you're in the tribe, you kind of know what it means. If you're not, then you might not know what it means, but you act like you do or something like that. This is what Christians mean when we talk about the gospel. The gospel means good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything necessary so that enemies of God, abject religious failures, moral failures, spiritual failures, enemies of God can receive Jesus' own peace with God and therefore be adopted as his children and cry out, Abba, Father. It's the gospel. And Jesus designed the church to be built on that foundation. This is important because one of the things that this means is that Christianity is not the result of a bunch of um, religious experts or religious um, geniuses who gathered together and were, you know, a religious think tank. They're sitting down going, hey, how can we just kind of up the game just a little bit here on being religious and being human? That's not what it was. They were sitting there and they had nothing. And Christianity started when the greatest religious system in history had utterly failed and its best exponents found out that they were nothing greater than abject failures because they were complicit in murder and corruption and betrayal and all of those sorts of things, and then God intervened. And God came in the person of Jesus Christ and said, I'm going to give you what you can never deserve and you could never earn and you could never achieve. I give you peace. That's the foundation of the church, built on the gospel of peace. But then comes the next aspect of the foundation. The church is sent in authority. Look at verse 21. And Jesus said right away, gets right down to business, uh, peace be with you, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Uh, Verse 23 is uh, repeated when someone is ordained a minister in the church. I remember hands being laid on me and those words being said over me. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold the sins of any, they are withheld. And it's striking language, is it not? Does it trouble you? It troubles me. Let me show you the authority that Jesus gives here. You see the word uh, sent? Jesus says, as the Father sent me. Now that word sent is important because it's uh, it's a verb and we get the word apostle from it. So to be sent, to be sent as an apostle means that you're sent uh, in order to represent somebody else. And so Jesus, right here, he says, he says, I was sent as an apostle from the Father, meaning uh, I was sent with authority to represent the Father. And then he looks at the apostles and he says, similarly, I am sending you, disciples, you are now apostles, ones who are sent, I am sending you 
with authority to represent me to others. And therefore, Jesus gives the apostles an enormous amount of authority. And it, it's authority that troubles people very often. And part of the reason it troubles people is that the church, like I said before, has a lot to answer for because the church has regularly abused its authority. So let's try to think through a little bit more clearly what is the nature of this authority that Jesus gives. And I think one of the best ways to think about it is um, think about an ambassador. Okay? An ambassador uh, has a lot of authority, but at the same time, that authority is limited. Right? So, for instance, on the one hand, an ambassador has loads of authority. So uh, an ambassador will negotiate on behalf of her government. Uh, she may speak on behalf of her government. She has to, actually. Uh, so therefore, when you're speaking with an ambassador from another nation, you're speaking not just with that individual, but you are speaking with the government whom she represents. Right? A lot of authority. But it's not limitless authority. So if an ambassador ends up undermining her government, she gets fired, and that's called treason, which is a, like a big thing, right? Now, the ambassador has to stay on script. Keep to the talking points. Bring that back to this passage. Because Jesus authorizes the apostles to go out and to offer the good news of peace through Christ. So he says, go out and offer uh, peace, amnesty, adoption to anyone who will receive it. And when they do, you are to speak to them and you are to say, it is yours. Your sins are forgiven. And then at the same time, if they refuse it, Jesus says, warn them. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. To reject the gospel of Christ means the apostles are bound to tell them that you remain in your sin. You remain enemies of God. We're not going to play around or pretend here, because that's called hypocrisy. We don't want to do that. Now, one of the things that that means is that apostolic authority passes to the church down through the ages. One of the things that it means is that when the church today proclaims the gospel... We get to hear that as we are hearing the message of Jesus. We're hearing it uh, in an almost first hand. It's not hearsay. It's Jesus himself through the apostles and then now through the church speaking to us and we can hear it with a great amount of authority. For instance, earlier in the service, we confessed our sins and then um, I got the privilege of being able to say, the words of absolution and, and forgiveness, where I say the Lord pardons and absolves all those who truly repent and unfeignedly believe his holy gospel. At least those are the old words. And when we hear those words, you're not hearing them from me. We are to hear them as the good news from Christ himself. It's not hearsay. It's from Christ himself. And that's wonderful. And for some of us who tend to um, doubt whether or not we are really forgiven, whether or not we're really a child of God, this is important because Jesus has given you the gift of the church to look at you and say, you are forgiven. Do you believe in Christ? Do you trust him? You're forgiven. Receive that assurance. But it's not limitless authority. The apostles had to stay on script. They were accountable to the gospel of peace. And they weren't allowed to modify it. They weren't allowed to dilute it. And when they did, and sometimes they did, 
they lost their authority immediately because it was known as treason. Paul, the apostle, had to rebuke Peter at one point about this. Thankfully, Peter immediately repented. But the same is true in the church for every age. Our job and our commission and our, and our authority is tied to the gospel. We have no authority that is uh, apart from the gospel. And therefore, the gospel has to always remain our unflinching focus. So the church is built upon the foundation of the gospel. It is sent with authority to offer and proclaim that gospel and to warn those who reject. But then thirdly, the church is animated by the Spirit. Look at verse 22. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to see here the kindness of Jesus because he's, here he is. These guys don't deserve it. I can't emphasize that enough. And he's pouring out gift after gift. Um, do you remember what I said about peace? Peace is a, a joyful, intimate relationship with God as our Father. And really, only finally, Jesus knows that peace. And all through Jesus' earthly life, the, go uh, the Gospel of Luke is particularly clear on this, it's the Holy Spirit who brokered that peace in Jesus' life. It was the Holy Spirit who bound Jesus to the Father in love. You can see that at Jesus' baptism. It's the Holy Spirit who is filling Jesus with immeasurable power and courage. It's the Holy Spirit who fills Jesus with comfort and assurance, knowing that God is his Father and that he could trust his Father even when the, Father, the Father's will led him to the cross. And it was the Holy Spirit who was the Spirit of truth. Jesus and the Spirit were continually bound to the Father. And on the night before Jesus died, Jesus promised the disciples that he would give them the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit in the disciples would keep them faithful to the gospel that Jesus gave them and would keep them faithful to the truth that Jesus taught them. It's a precious gift. And all through the last 2,000 years, the church has received the gospel of peace and the authority uh, to offer it to the world. But the thing that animates and brings life is that the church has received the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? We find out that we have the Holy Spirit when we find ourselves trusting in Christ when we find ourselves loving Jesus, when we find out that the, Jesus is not just a historical person who had a lot of good insights, but rather Jesus is the one who says to us, to you and to me today, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that Jesus' truth is vivid to us and the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Jesus' gospel with other people. It was the Holy Spirit that kept the disciples on script. And when they got off script, he corrected them and brought them back to Jesus. You know, when the Holy Spirit is really animating the church's life, then um, it, what happens is we end up loving Jesus too much to modify his message. We end up loving Jesus too much to tamper with the gospel. And we find that the Holy Spirit is continually recalibrating us, recalibrating the church to the foundation that Jesus laid. And we find that it is a delight. Do you find the Holy Spirit doing that in your life? 
you find the Holy Spirit doing that in our church? One last bit of the foundation. The church is faithed. I know that's a terrible use of the English language. Faithed by the word. I don't have a better word for it. Um, look at Thomas. Everybody kind of likes Thomas. Do you, do, do you like Thomas? Everybody loves Thomas because he kind of says, oh, yeah, yeah easy, easy to identify with, right? But I find that Thomas sort of brings up a problem for me because I, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, I can identify with you, Thomas. But then I'm like, Thomas, you got to see him. You know, I want that. And sometimes it feels like all we've got is hearsay. Does that make sense? What I want to show you is that Jesus' point in this passage is the opposite. G, according to Jesus, we get a better deal than Thomas had, which is hard to grasp, but look at verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those, meaning there's a greater blessing, for those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I, I want to say, really, Jesus? What, what do you mean by that? that I, I don't understand. What special blessing is there for those of us who, who haven't seen you physically, but nevertheless believe in you? Well, keep reading. And do you remember what an apostle's job is? You've got to keep this in mind. Um, Jesus sent the apostles to proclaim the gospel of peace. And he promised that when the apostles spoke, that it wouldn't be hearsay, but that Jesus himself would be present by his spirit speaking with them. So that we hear the apostles, we are hearing Jesus himself. Now keep that in mind. Because in the next verses, verse 30, look, you can watch an apostle doing his job. Look at verse 30. John, the apostle, writes, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life, there is a synonym for peace in this context. But follow my thinking here. The Father sent Jesus to the disciples precisely when they did not believe. Uh, Thomas didn't believe, but the rest of them didn't believe before this either. They were religious failures. And when Jesus met them, he said, peace to you. And when he spoke peace to them, faith entered their hearts. Then Jesus sends the apostles out saying, speak peace and offer forgiveness and warn those who reject. And as you do that, Jesus says, I will personally speak and faith will enter into their hearts. He promises a miracle. And now John, years later, one of the apostles, he's writing all of this down because he knows that he's not going to be around for forever. And he writes this down so that generations later, as we read this text... When we read the Bible, we get to hear the apostles speak. But more importantly, we get to hear Jesus himself speak. So it's not hearsay. Jesus himself is addressing us, and as he speaks, and as we listen, and as we receive the word of God, faith enters into our hearts. And that's why I say, all through the history of the church, the church is faithed by the word of God. It's not faithed by trying really hard to believe. It's not faith because uh, the church is full of people who are just kind of into believing. It's not it. The church is for those who could never believe. To whom Jesus addresses through his scriptures, peace to you.
and you find yourself saying with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And it's happened in billions of people's lives throughout the history of the church. And this is what apostolic Christianity is all about. And that's, this is what Emmanuel gets to be all about. What a blessing that we get to be bearers of the gospel of peace. What a blessing that we get to share in this authority that we can go out, we can receive assurance that our sins are forgiven and we can go out and be certain that when we offer forgiveness that it's real, it's not make-believe. How, what a blessing that we get to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and what a blessing that we have before us the word of God through which God gives faith. Friends, we dare not neglect this wonderful foundation. Are you neglecting these things in your life? Let's pray. Almighty Father, we want to be an apostolic church. We thank you that this foundation stands today. And that for 2,000 years, this foundation has been passed generation to generation and now comes to us. And will you grant us that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit Fill us with your Holy Spirit in new ways. Some of us here who don't believe at all, will you, in, will you give the gift of faith? Some of us who are barely hanging on, filled with doubts, will you speak? Those of us who are filled with guilt, will you speak peace? Those of us who feel utterly distant from God, will you impart the spirit of adoption so that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. Recalibrate us to the foundation of the church. In Jesus' name, amen.